This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Stone technology is actually an important component of our history. The data we have now is that stone tool production, not just tool use, tool making, emerged at 3.3 million years and was replaced by metal tools at about 4,000 years ago, although the process of replacement was a long one. It took about 2,000 years for people to abandon stone tool and turn into metallurgy. Now, the, the earliest um, sites documenting stone tool making are in East Africa and spread from 3.3 million years, that's the site of Lomekwi tree in Kenya, to Olduvai, 1.8, and Tanzania. The earliest site is Lomekwi tree in Kenya, dated to 3.3 million years. It is a small assemblage, about 149 artifacts, um, including also material from the surface. The inclusion of material from the surface is supported by the refitting of a stone flake onto a core that comes from the excavation. Um, this is the refitted flake, and this is the core. The main technique uh, used is the so-called block-on-block technique, which is rather similar to the technique used by chimpanzees to break open nuts. Cores are rather simple, but there are some flakes that show scars of previous removals. So the Lomequi flakes appear to have been produced intentionally, but there is no associated faunal remains, and we do not know what the flakes were used for. And generally, we can say that the cores have very few removals. Now, in later sites, the production of sharp stone edges is clearly associated with butchering of medium to uh, large animals. So it is important to note that chimpanzee hunt and kill prey, but that is typically smaller than 20 kilos, and have never been observed to use tools to break open skulls or bones. There you can see uh, chimpanzees eating a vervet monkey or a bush pig. And they eat it directly without using tools to break the bones or, or to get access to the brain. We have to say a few things about um, the napping technique that is used uh, throughout these three million years of history. The most common technique is direct percussion with a stone hammer, uh, or uh, sometimes uh, later, direct percussion was done with a wood hammer, which would produce thinner and more regular removals. Much, much later, you would have pressure flaking using a pointed bone, which would produce very regular, uh, well-shaped edges. Bipolar flaking, you can see it, in the, on the slide, is said to have been used at Lomequi. Tell you the truth, 
I think that the photos that according to the excavator illustrated by polar flaking are pretty bad. I haven't seen a single example that I would call bipolar flaking, but well, we can forget about it. <laughs> the next and very important site is a locality in the Ledi Geraru area, Ethiopia, which is dated to 2.6 million years. There you have clearly flake production by direct percussion. In particular, you have a certain amount of cores and whole broken flakes, and you can see that the, there is systematic production of sharp-edged tools, and we should be aware of the fact that this marks a fundamental shift in the dietary adaptations of early humans. At Ghana, another uh, of these sites in Ethiopia, which is broadly contemporaneous with Lady Geraru, uh, Lady Geraru, I'm not Ethiopian, I'm not sure how it's pronounced. You can see that on one hand, there is competent napping by direct percussion. You see clearly flakes that have all the characteristics of flakes done by humans. And you have an SEM image of cut marks done by a sharp-edged flake on a limb bone. This is quite important because the systematic flake production by direct percussion at Lady Geraru and the use of cutting tool edges on large animals at Ghana, about 2.6, 2.58, they are associated with an important behavioral change by early humans. That is the transport of food to a central point for sharing probably with other members of the group, thus creating a site where artifacts are made and bones are discarded. These sites are the basis of the archaeological record. And we are talking about hundreds of thousands of flakes of sites, which are these clusters of bones and stone tools. The, the following long history of stone tool making is punctuated by some important innovations. The emergence of stable patterns of flaking indicating planning and foresight at local LA, dated to 3.4 in Kenya. The emergence of tools with diversified morphology at Olduvai. Later, the adoption of the Levalua technology for the production of regular and thin-edged flakes about 400 to 300,000 years ago, the Levalua technology is used till the very end of the Mousterian. The use of afting, for which we have the best evidence about 200,000 years ago, and then the development of microlithic weapons. I am not going to be able to cover all these different kinds of uh, important innovations. But I want to point out to you, first of all, the site of local LA, dated to, to 2.34 uh, million years, a relatively small excavation that, large, that yielded um, more than 2,000 lithic artifacts. And you can see from the refitting of the flakes on the core that there is a production of many flakes done very well, all very uh, good flakes, in a, a clear pattern, 
and, and we are dealing now really with skilled nappers. We have to leave this million years, and we have to move to a more recent innovations, which I consider the, actually the most important advance in the technological evolution of Paleolithic humans, the hafting of stone tools. Joining a handle to a knife or scraper and attaching a sharp point to a wooden shaft made stone tools more efficient and easier to use. Now, how do we find in archaeology evidence of hafting? Well, the first and direct evidence would be to find intact hafted tools. Now, this is extremely rare. The few examples are very late in time, and what you can see here, for example, is a part of a spear that was thrown by a spear thrower from the Yukon in Canada, melting ice, and dated to 4,000 BP. In other words, archaeologists have to rely on indirect evidence of hafting. One is the presence of impact scars on um, uh, stone tools that were used as spear tips and also on the basis of these stone tools, indicating strong impact on bone and by rebound also removal of flakes from the bucket that from the base of the tool which is inserted in the socket. You have examples of two points, two steel bay points from Blombos dated between 77 and 73,000 years ago, where you have uh, both the removal of a large flake from the tip, which is um, impact damage, and equally at the base, again, it's a kind of impact damage. But in reality, the best evidence that archaeologists can get is the finding of residue on the stone tools indicating the presence of adhesive material which can be uh, chemically analyzed and identified. The oldest stone tools that have adhesive, that is birch bark pitch, identified by gas chromatography and mass spectrometry, comes from the site of Campitello uh, in Tuscany, Italy. The flakes were found in association with remains of an elephant Antiquus, and the site is dated to 200,000 years BP by Roden Biostratigraphy. Now, what you see here is an imprint that probably is the imprint of the wooden handle. Not all countries uh, were using a birch bark pitch. They adapted to the environment that they have. For example, in Syria, at the site of Umel Tlel, dated to 70,000 years ago, the uh, flakes were uh, made in two points and they were hafted with bitumen. And the, uh, the presence of a levalua point embedded in the cervical vertebra of a wild ass is a clear indication that we are talking about spears, either thrown or thrusting, that have impacted the vertebra of this animal and left a fragment. In other countries, like in Italy, instead, after the use of the birch bark pitch at Campitello, uh, we find use of resin from conifers. In particular, there are 10 artifacts that we studied from two caves in Italy dating 
between 55 and 40,000 uh, years ago. They were afted with resin and the identified by the chemical analysis, gas chromatography and mass spectrometry. And you can see the white arrows indicate the residue that was um, chemically analyzed. And then uh, there are other R, which indicates other kinds of residues. You can see that these were not spear points. These were just tools. For example, what was hafted uh, down is a scraper. And upper, you see a flake, which is unretouched. And yet, it was flaked. It was... Um, Hafted. And now I better talk about the end of the Stone Age because, again, it deals with Italy, so it's my country. <laughs> Makes sense. Okay. <laughs> so the, uh, a lot of people know Etsy, the mummified corpse that was found in 1991 up in the Alps at 3,200 meters elevation on the border between Italy and Austria. And the site is by a few meters in Italian territory. <laughs> that was enough for the material to be taken from Austria and put in a museum in Bolzano. So you can go and visit the museum where it, uh, there is the mummy and all these tools because the fundamental interest of Etsy um, is the tools that were found with him. They were found either around him or under him. And by the way, um, Etsy was 45 years old, was killed by an arrow, which is still in the left shoulder, left shoulder blade, and it is estimated by various doctors that this um, arrow uh, impacted a major artery which is uh, near the clavicle, and so the guy died of blood loss. And it's also estimated that his body emerged from melting ice three days before discovery by two hikers. The um, Etsy's tools are very interesting. There is a one-hour arrow with a flint head. Uh, it's only a portion of the shaft that you are seeing, and you can see that it is... Um, uh, glued, the stuff is glued with probably pitch. Then you have a dagger or a flint knife if you want together with its sheath. Down there you see what is called the pressure flaker which has an antler tip, a very small point which was used for pressure flaking. You, as you can see the, the gesture of pressure flaking. Now the analysis of these um, stone tools by expert te uh, technologists told them, one, that the flint were coming from at least uh, two different regions south of the Alps. Two, that Etsy was not a very good flint napper. In fact, <laughs> you can see them. You can, you can see that they are pretty ugly, to tell you the truth, both the, the arrowhead and the flint knife. According to technologists, uh, Etsy did not do these tools. He just um, bought them or bartered them or exchanged them, and they were already made. These are mostly bifacially done, and they are smaller now through use and continuous retouching by him. He was good at retouching, 
by pressure flaking, but making them, no. One thing that is particularly interesting about this uh, collection of, of tools is the copper axe. This is the beginning of metallurgy. And we are here at 3300 BC. Now, the copper axe um, is made of yew wood and um, is <coughs> fixed into the haft with birch tar and bound with leather strap. Isotopic analysis indicates that the source of the metal is southern Tuscany, an area rich in copper deposits. The blade was made by smelting and casting in a mold. Clearly, a form of technology that has nothing to do with stone technology. And it was almost certainly acquired by the Icemen through trade. The incorporation of metallurgy into prehistoric society was a rather complex process. Stone tools continued to be made in Europe for at least 2,000 years after the Iceman. Flint imitations of copper daggers were made in Western Europe between 3,000 and 2,500 BC. You can see this is flint and this is copper, and the archaeologists don't know if the artisan were imitating copper blades or whether the copper blades were imitating the flint daggers. At any rate, in, in the Near East, stone tool continued to be used for butchering until 1200 BC. That is more or less the very end of the Stone Age. And there is, for final, a last interesting thing to be said about the end of the, the beginning of metallurgy and the end of the Stone Age is that when you mine copper or other metals from ores, um, you end up creating extensive dumps of mining debris. And also lead and copper contaminate the soil. So this end of the, uh, see the beginning of metallurgy really marks the beginning of a modern feature, pollution. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.